Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. League final moved here to France where two titans of Europe clash in a last dance. Real Madrid, Los Blancos, kings of this scene and Liverpool, the Reds, the believers in the dream. 32 teams became two, it's been theatre, war and art. But before we get to the ending, let's rewind to the start. Roll it back to September to the group stage. Go faster. Remember when Bayern started off by whacking Barca or when United were shocked by young boys in Bern or when Adeyemi and Seville won three penalties in turn. City started their campaign by hitting six at home, but Nkunku got a hat-trick, he was setting the tone. Liverpool avenged last year's Atleti demise, while Sporting's qualification brought tears to the eyes, and there was drama in Group D as Sheriff came to town, and that free kick stunned Madrid in the Bernabeu. It wasn't to be from the boys from Tiraspol, but they won't be forgotten, nor that Sebi Till Thunderbolt. Benfica dumped Barca out with Darwin's evolution, and it cost Ronald Kerman. He had no solution. So into the knockout round, the brightest spotlight, and the draw itself needed to go to get it right but when it came we saw some colossal clashes City's attack sparkled turning Sporting's dream to ashes Salzburg looked like they could pull off a shock until Bayern came home and knocked off their block Liverpool went to Inter scored two and got it done even a loss at Anfield couldn't stop the red run when ambition played tradition tradition won out Madrid came from behind against PSG in a row in the first leg in Paris it felt like they were lacking but Benz bagged a hat-trick and sent PSG packing Villarreal started up a fairy tale run one 3-0 in Turin, Juve's time was done, Benfica stunned Ajax, Chelsea tucked Lille away and United got knocked out in that Simeone way. In the quarters, Liverpool bagged three at the Luge and with the second leg at Anfield, felt like they couldn't lose. But Benfica kept at them, Eagles kept descending and drew three all away in a game not for defending. City ground it out in a battle of attrition, played Atleti at their own game, the Guardiola edition. And Villarreal added Bayern to their list of casualties as Chukwetze at the death left Munich on its knees and as champions played Kings Madrid won 3-1 at Chelsea Los Blancos left West London feeling pretty healthy but the Blues bounced back away forcing extra time only for Benzema once again to draw the bottom line another English team lay in wait in the last four Man City Guardiola and Chelotti knew the score should have been three down in the first half first leg but this is Real Madrid they don't know when they're dead and needing two goals with just a minute left to play Los Blancos did just what they do went and found a way Rodrigo at the double first with some Brazilian flair and then with their glorious leap into the air into extra time and on and on we go until Camavinga slid another pass to Rodrigo slipped in Benzema brought down for a pen and the big man slammed Madrid into a final once again in the other semi-final Liverpool had less trouble won the first leg 2-0 with a quick fire double but Emery's Villarreal didn't go down without a fight and levelled the tie in minutes in the Valencia night second half Liverpool got three and put the tie to bed but the yellow submarine should be very proud of what they did Europa League winners knocked out Juve and Bayern from a tough group two where they'd left Atalanta crying. The showpiece was set though, and as from a dream, it's come a complete reworking of the final of 81. Real Madrid and Liverpool played upon the park under those glorious floodlights as the Paris sky goes dark. The kings of this competition, Los Blancos, Real Madrid, 13 times winners for a 14th they now bid, and Liverpool, the mighty Reds, winners six times also, playing for lucky number seven and a repeat of 40 years ago. Reyes de Europa, you'll never walk alone. Two titans of this competition, both desperate for the throne. Los Blancos, the Reds, eternity beckons now for you. The Champions League final, 2022. The poems are back, boys. We're back in business. It's been a long, long time. It has, mate, yeah. I was actually listening back. When we were, um, last week, I started just going through my phone and found all these downloaded old episodes of podcasts. And I had all these ones of of the old rank stuff. And, um, you used to do some funny poems, mate. Um, sometimes we'd actually batter you for them as well, but that was quite a good one. You've come back and um, you've obviously been through and given that one some proper thought. So that that's good. That's a, lot of ground, a lot of ground covered would have been the phrase I used. A lot of ground covered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was almost a weekly thing, wasn't it, when we first started this pod? But um, that died off once we rebranded. You need you do need to come back, though, mate. Strong, 
Yeah, strong come for back, next season. Back stronger. People do say. like them. As a different pod says, back stronger. And right, I have Jack Collins, I will be always there. And these two gentlemen with me are Dean Jones, our transfer guru, and Sam Tai, our rank. God, how are we, boys? It's Champions League week. Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's quite a big game, this one, isn't it? People get excited <laughs> for this. <laughs> Especially Sam. Especially Sam, oh, the, the biggest Champions, Champions League, League fan in the world. So good, man! It's so good. The knockout stages of this competition are just the best. I actually Didn't don't normally really like not. it that much, but this season it has been pretty good. Yeah. How can you yeah. not normally like I it? I prefer. The, I prefer the Premier League. Yeah, you are, I mean, there's you always are nuts. A, there's always a debate over like what actually you know is harder to win. All of these different questions that are asked, isn't it? There, there are these things put out there, but it's the Champions League. We, we're going to give it our full attention, our full undivided we attention. Will. I'm not going to go into two other things. Um, we're going to be talking about ranking three reasons why both teams can be optimistic and confident about winning mm. the trophy this time round. Um, we've actually switched the episode order around for our regular listeners. You will find things we love after this segment. We're going to talk about our trip to Lisbon at the weekend to watch the Portuguese Cup final. Um, but let's get stuck in to the big one, to the meat of this episode. Flip it round because it's a special occasion and all that. Um, Sam, are you taking Liverpool or Real Madrid? Who, who are you ranking uh, the reasons to be cheerful for? Uh, I am taking Liverpool. Uh, I did check out with Dean. Dean, who do you think is going to win the Champions League final, mate? And he went, well, I think Real Madrid are going to win because I always think they're going to win everything. So I said, okay, well, you take that one and I'll take Liverpool. That sounds like it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Adds up to me. Adds up to me. me. All right, let's let's get going then. So I've got the three, three reasons for Liverpool to be feeling optimistic and hopeful that they can win the Champions League final. Uh, We'll go three to one, start at three and... It's Virgil van Dijk and Alison Becker. Literally just the presence of those two human beings. Um, because Liverpool are facing quite the force, aren't they? In Karen Benzema and Vinicius Junior, and, and obviously the star-studded uh, elite midfielder. Now you're doing Dean's bit for him. No, yeah. but it's, the, it's, t- it's <laughs> tough times. It's tough times. You know, when you face these two, it's tough times. No defence this season has really managed to keep them quiet. And they've got a ton of goals between them, a ton of assists between them, a great connection. They've been brilliant. But if anyone can actually stop Karen Benzema and, as a byproduct, Vinicius Jr., it's probably Virgil van Dijk and Alison Becker, the best centre-back in the world and perhaps the best goalkeeper. Certainly, if you don't agree with that suggestion, the best one-versus-one goalkeeper in world football. His one versus one ability and his, his ability to spread himself and, and save those shots is absolutely incredible. And the way they sweep up behind the defence is so impressive. Van Dijk generally unbeatable in duels. Um, Alisson, brilliant, quick off his line, sweeping around the back. But Benzema and Vinny, it's a proper scary prospect. But Liverpool might have the combination that can actually stop them. And that is one of the most interesting subtexts to this final, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's it's such an intriguing battle. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is Virgil van Dijk has been you know, so incredibly good, but so incredibly consistent as well, obviously barring the injury, um, that it's almost like expected he drops an 8 out of 10. There are very few players in the world where if they drop an 8 out of 10 performance, people aren't talking about them. But Virgil van Dijk is one of those players. There's been loads of chat about the fact that Joel Matip's been unbelievable this season, and he has. There's been loads of chat about the fact that Ibrahima Konate has come in and been excellent as a partner in, in European competition, in cup competition, and he has. Um, and all of these things are talked about loads. But VVD just continues to roll along, Rolls Royce's way along the back line and continue to just impress time and time and time again. And, you know, obviously goalkeepers, you know, Dean said before, they're not, goal, they're not, few, they're not footballers. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, there is, an, there is an element here where I think I was a bit surprised that, that Alisson wasn't in the conversation for player of the year um, in the Premier League because I think he's been that good and that important to, you know, Liverpool's rampage. Now, I don't necessarily think he should have won it, but I think he should have definitely been in the conversation because he is just an absolute wall at the moment. And you come up against a player who you're just like, no doubt whatsoever that he's going to turn up here. And again, another player who just turns up week after week after week after week, you just don't see bad performances from them. And I think that in itself is such a strength because everyone's like, that's fine. Don't worry about that. If other bits go wrong, fine, we can work out with it, but this isn't going to go wrong. And and that 
is quite special, I think, and, and incredibly rare. Yeah. So, Dino, that's the first one in the bag. You're feeling worried yet? You're feeling concerned? No, I've got a response ready for that one later on. Okay, fantastic. We'll move on to number two then. I'm calling this one pressing and picking on someone. This is what Liverpool do quite a lot. They're quite mean. They're the big uh, playground bullies. They play at an incredible intensity. And even if their pressing game has um, dropped off just a tiny bit in terms of how relentless it is or how high up it it happens on the pitch, it's still incredibly well coordinated. And once it latches onto one of its triggers, it, it closes in so, so fast. And they could force like, even the best opponents in the world into having truly awful games. And what they do is they 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 tend to pick on someone. They, they pick one player, Klopp and his team, decide on that player, that player becomes a pressing trigger. If they get the ball or if they receive the ball at a certain angle or from a certain position or from a certain player, there is this flurry of red movement towards them and it's continually tripping people up. And I do think that they can have some success with this strategy against Real Madrid. And I think specifically over on Real Madrid's right-hand side, Danny Carvajal and Eder Militao. Now, Carvajal kind of speaks for itself, like... He's finding it very tough at this level nowadays. There's no disrespect. He's had quite the injury record over the last couple of years and he's played a lot of football, this guy, and he was absolutely fantastic. But you can see Carlo Ancelotti helping him out in games, giving him Federico Valverde as, as, like, a, as like a bodyguard for protection. He almost plays two right backs. But it's Edin Militao that I think is the more interesting discussion because from August to about January, this guy was unbelievable. He's one of the best centre-backs in Europe. But from about January, maybe the end of January, I don't know if it's fatigue, or it's carrying a niggling injury, but a lot of mistakes started creeping in. And I mean a lot of them. Like I've seen way too many games over the last three months where Eddie Militao has coughed up the ball in a silly, mistake, silly position or his positioning's been completely off or he's made a really rash tackle. I think Liverpool are going to get in his head. And I'm expecting Sadio Mane centre-forward. I'm expecting a lot of clever pressing from him. And I'm expecting him to sort of shade over towards the left and start rustling Militao. I don't think there's any point in trying to rustle David Alaba. Like, it's just it's not going to happen. But Militao is a different story. And I can see a big chance coming for Liverpool from this exact strategy. And I can see it coming from Sadio Mane's pressing work, possibly on Eddie Militao. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. And uh, the thing is that Militao started this season so strongly. Um, and he was he was so impressive, um, and that you know as that partnership developed between him and David Alaba, we saw you know some really incredible performances. The, you know the the reason he was signed for Porto was because he thought he had you know high high level potential. Didn't really get too much of a look in, or, or at least didn't rise the levels we expected of him last season. Right. Tough to um, do when Sergio Ramos is around. To be fair, you know, agreed. And Varane but- and Varane. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But uh, it's not. It wasn't a dig. It was just a thing. They were kind of sort of redshirting him almost, letting him have those years to get used to it. He came in with Alaba, was absolutely brilliant. Um, but the second half of the season, those mistakes have crept in. We, we've seen problems with, with his game. We've seen him get exposed, get caught out. And some of that has been to do with the fact that Alaba obviously hasn't been next to him as much as he probably would have liked. You know, that cool head guiding him, that experienced player alongside to kind of just push him in the right direction. Um, but equally, I am also a bit concerned because I really like Militao um, and I think he's you know, a wonderful footballer. But I am worried that on an occasion like this, if Liverpool looked to him to be the weak link, there's a real chance that it could end quite in, a, in quite an ugly fashion. See, Dean? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna Stick bot- it up for me. We're, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna bottle you up up front and then they're gonna take advantage of weaknesses at the back. You must be oh, worried now. Sticking up for me, yeah. No, must no, be worried now. No okay, worries, fine. No All right, let me try this one out there. Number one. Number one is Mohamed Salah. No, definitely not scared of him. That's it. Here's, <laughs> That's it. Move on. Here's where I am with Salah. It's been a bit of a lean 2022 for, for Almo. AFCON threw off his rhythm. Hasn't been great since he returned. He even got a little injury a couple of weeks ago that he's had to sort of declare himself fit from again and kind of overcome, which is not exactly what you want. He came off in the cup final, of course, against Chelsea. Um, and I don't know why I'm painting this, you know, lack of confidence picture of Salah when I'm trying to big him up. But yeah. I th- his run up to this final has not has not been particularly ideal. But this is Mohamed Salah. This is an absolutely massive game of football. He lives for these occasions. He often scores unbelievable goals on these occasions and he's got revenge on his mind you know 
He said mm-hmm. it himself. The man has said so himself. Was it four four years ago? Was it t- uh, 2018? Um, leads the Champions League final after about half an hour because Sergio Ramos has rugby tackled him and dislocated his shoulder or something. And he's te- he's tearing up as he leaves the pitch. Obviously, that, that night goes very badly for Liverpool on multiple ways. And, you know, okay, he can't have revenge in the form of taking Ramos down himself because Ramos is gone. But he can lead his team to victory here and he can make the difference. And I think we're going to see a super determined Salah. I think we're going to see a laser focused Salah. And Salah with an edge, you know, Salah with a point to prove, Salah with some revenge. Uh, and Dino, he's due a goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is due a goal. <laughs> he scored at the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, he scored, he did. But um, he's due a big goal. Um, I don't know. I. I'm not that scared of Salah. It sounds weird because like he's been in this battle for the golden boot. He's obviously been so important to Liverpool. Just don't feel like Salah on a revenge mission is as bad as some other players would be on a revenge mission. A Benzema or something like, I don't know. Let's see. Like I take your point. Um, He is still one of the best players in the world. I probably should be worried about that. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know. I reckon I've got some... Some good factors to throw back at you coming up. I, I just, on Salah and, and on this kind of revenge narrative that's been thrown around, I, I agree, Sam, that I think there's obviously an element of Mo Salah is so good that you always have to fear him and he is a big game player and he has these moments, you know, in, in finals. We've obviously seen him do it before, score the penalty against Tottenham that, that kind of decided that game in so many ways. Obviously, they won 2-0, but it was the game that, it was his goal that, that basically won won the title for Liverpool. We've seen We've seen that. I do worry about the idea of him seeing this as a some sort of personal vendetta mission um, because Liverpool are such a team. They're such a unit, right? They are such a uh, something that's been brought together by Jurgen Klopp. And, and when it started, it was all this emotion, right? There was all these, you know, everyone together. There's The way that Liverpool won the Premier League title, it, was, it felt like, you know, the whole thing had been drilled in by emotion. And obviously we've seen Anfield on European nights and we've seen those incredible comebacks and we've seen some unbelievable scenes. I wonder if the idea of there being some sort of personal vendetta or revenge mission here is actually detrimental to Liverpool as a whole. Um, because I don't know if you if you know then see it as, oh, if you know if Salah doesn't score, does he get his revenge? If Salah doesn't, you know, make the difference, is he will he try too hard? That laser focus that you talk about, is there an element of okay, just play it simple, just take the easy pause. You know, Liverpool are excellent. They are probably on paper the better side in this final. I think most people would agree. Um you kind of play your game and play your normal game, and effectively you should win. I do worry that the idea of this being billed as the rematch the you know the, the kind of of oh, a chance to put things right actually works in Real Madrid's favor a little bit because they kind of the idea of them being underdogs is so weird as a concept yeah. um that actually it might suit them to, to, mm. to you know to have that playing in in their way just to be like oh we're the bad guys are we okay fine yeah. um, no, no, you mean yeah it's not that's the only it's not the normal approach that. Liverpool would take. And the fact that, you know, Salah was talking about revenge even before the semi-finals were over does add an edge to it and is a bit strange because that does mean that it's on Liverpool's mind and Real Madrid already know that. So uh, yeah. it be interesting to see in the few days before the final um, how it plays out. Um, but I'm going to flip it now. And have you got anything else to say, Sam, before I do this? Yeah, um, I don't think... <laughs> I'm not at all. I'm not at all worried about Salah making it a personal thing. Um, I also think that it wouldn't really change much anyway, because ultimately he just like takes loads of shots, even when he is a team player. So what's he going to do? Take more shots? Like it, it just, yeah. it would just. He, he's he's a, he's an inherently selfish player anyway, because he's a goal scorer, and the top goal scorers are selfish in that way. Um, yeah. So if he starts to get revenge on his mind, that'll just channel his focus. He'll want to take shots. That's what he does anyway. Salah takes. Well, this is perfect. Shots. This is absolutely perfect because my third, my point three for why Real Madrid can win this final is that they've got Thibaut Courtois in goal. Yeah, that is. And he can save pretty much anything. Um, Real Madrid and and their... Look at Dino there, showing some respect to the goalkeepers. Well, their comeback against Man City would never have been possible if Courtois hadn't have had an absolute worldie. Yes, over the course of the two games, um, in fact, not even just the two games... 
against Man City, but including the Chelsea game um, as well. Like he's letting fair few goals, but ultimately that's because the defence in front of him are pretty frail. You've already talked a little bit about that. But Courtois, you think back to big moments in that semi-final and uh, like obviously the save from Grealish. Um, there was a there was a moment when he, I think Gundogan cuts it across the box and Sterling's coming at the far post to just slide in and stick it in. And Courtois just gets a fingertip to it and pushes it past him. None of this is fluke. None of this is a coincidence or, or luck. This is a case of making your own luck and Courtois working extremely hard. He even posted a video in the days afterwards of the save um, that he made with his studs, showing one of the training techniques that he does. And it was almost identical to the the situation that he came face to face with on that occasion. And he's prepared for these big moments and he's bounced back. You talked earlier on about Alisson being the best goalkeeper in the world. There's an argument Real Madrid fans would make that Courtois is the best goalkeeper in the world. There's probably an argument for us over the course of the summer to do a ranking on the best goalkeepers in the world because since the last time we discussed it, it probably has turned around quite a lot for a few it's goalkeepers. Yeah. yeah, so, and and this is what happens. And for Courtois, you think back to earlier on in his career when he was in the mud a little bit, um, obviously at, at Chelsea, certainly didn't get a lot of the respects he commanded and ended up spending three years at Atletico, whatever it was in the end, and played over 100 games for them. But since he went to Madrid in, in 2018, he's regained all of his belief and confidence. And now at 30 years old, is the goalkeeper that we all thought he should have been um, and hoped he would be when he initially went and joined Chelsea in like 2011. Obviously, he was a young goalkeeper. Goalkeepers take a long time to actually peak. And for Courtois, seems like he's starting to do that, to be honest with you. And I think cup final, you look, they've they've got to, he's got to be in good form. He's facing Luis Diaz, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Diego Jota, whoever else decides to fire in shots on his goal, Thiago uh, from distance. Like, he's going to have to make some big saves in this game. Look, I think Liverpool will score in this game. There's, I don't have much doubt about that. I'd be very surprised if Liverpool didn't score in this game. But the reason I give Madrid hope of what I do, you know, I will admit would be a surprise result is that Courtois could save them in some key moments and keep the game alive. That's the thing, isn't it? If you keep the game alive with Real Madrid, you're in the mix. Um, you are always in that's the mix. Um, and, and that's important. Um, I think there's probably a fair point to be made that you're looking at, if you look at Alisson, uh, Courtois, and probably Mike Mignon from AC Milan, you're talking about the three best goalkeepers in Europe this season. Um, maybe Jose Sarr from Wolves as well, who I think has been magnificent. But, you know, these are three, you know, two of 100% two of the top five goalkeepers in the world, probably two of the top three. Um, I think if you were doing that ranking right now, um, and that makes for an you know intriguing battle at both ends of the pitch because we know both these teams can score goals, you know, and I'm mm. sure we're going to come to that. But we, you know, we also know that both of these teams have rocks at the back from which they are built, and you know, spines on which they are built. And Courtois is as much of that to Real Madrid as Allison has been. And 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 to be honest, I think if we're looking at this tournament as a whole. I think Courtois has been the best best goalkeeper in it so far. If you were asking me to pick my Champions League team of the season before this game began, yep. Courtois would currently be in it. Um, you know, him, it's him or Odysseus Vlachodimos from Benfica, you know, no, great, wonderful <laughs> goalkeeper. Um, but, you know, as, as we talk about these things, we're looking at a player who's has been absolutely magnificent across the course of the Champions League and, and, and therefore, you know, absolutely doing a completely, completely get where you're coming from. Um, and take us to number two. Number two, and I'm just going to call this section Game Changers, really. Um, because, look, Madrid can go into this game knowing that even if they're not playing great, they've got players that can quickly turn it on its head. And, look, the obvious two are Benzema and Vinicius. You know, you, you can't ignore um, the combination that, that these two have built. Um, you look at their stats from this season... I mean, just to focus on the Champions League for Benzema, he's played 11 Champions League games. He's got 15 goals in the Champions League so far. Um, we've all seen his standout moments. He's got a hat-trick against PSG. He's got a hat-trick against Chelsea. Um, and he stepped forward on in big moments too in all the other ties. I mean, there's only 
two games in the Champions League that he's played in that he hasn't scored in. That was PSG away and Inter away. Um, he does turn up. And Vinicius hasn't scored as many goals, but he has uh, weighed in with assists. So in goal contributions, it's been decent. Like He's played 12 games in the Champions League. He's got three goals, seven assists, so 10 goal contributions in total and you know it's those two that you'll you'll be ultimately looking at but I think for my point here is that Madrid do run deeper than that and when you're talking about game changers and looking around to who can provide inspiration they've now got it like whether that's Rodrigo might be like came up trumps at key moments for them already Camavinga a guy that's been turning up off the bench and really changing the the tempo of a game um you know, Tony Kroos obviously not happy earlier on in the season um, when he was replaced by him. Was it the Chelsea game? Um, but Camavinga absolutely, you know, turned up in that game. Um, he does he's turn turned up, up every time he's come off the bench, right? And, he does, and that's it. And that, that's something nice for, for them to have up their sleeve. And the other one now that might become really interesting if he does get some minutes, and there is talk in Spain of... Him getting minutes is Eden Hazard. There have been reports that Good Lord. he got like a short run out recently against Cadiz. He got obviously on the back of another injury. Um, but there's been Good a, a lot of talk about Hazard actually is starting to look sharp and Ancelotti's like starting to look on him and count on him. And then suddenly you think, hang on, Mbappe is not coming anymore. He's not coming. Suddenly, Hazard's not leaving. There's one final chance here for Eden Hazard to have the Madrid career, at least part of a career that he would want. And maybe, maybe he comes on against Liverpool, a team that he does have a good record against and looks to change things. Like, this isn't a likely storyline, but it is a possible one. I mean, Hazard obviously knows Liverpool well, played against them 15 times. Um, He's got a decent record against them. He's only lost four of those 15, but he scored five against them as well. And I just think that, like, if they're really desperate, if they are just about in the game or they're going into extra time and Hazard comes on, who knows? I, I, they've just got an array of... Look, you mentioned Lucas Vazquez and other players that they've, they've relied on at key times. Um, it'll be interesting. And I just think it gives Liverpool something to think about because usually these days it's Liverpool that have that in their armory, the fact that they've added Luis Diaz and have Jota and have Mane and Salah and Firmino and all the rest of it. But they've, they've got a team here who have very similar options when they need them. If Real Madrid are relying on Eden Hazard coming off the bench... Not relying, are, it's just having it. It's like, that, this is the thing. If they, they need Eden, if they need Eden Hazard to come on and change the game, I think the game is done. That would you be can't my, say that. I can. You can't say that because and that's and they what they've be proved looking. wrong again and again and again. And they should be looking to Rodrigo first. They like, will. They probably will do that. But I'm just saying, like, I've just added that as the final point. No, no, like, no. I agree. I, no, I agree with pretty much all of your a lot for Ed and Hazard because that was him done pretty much. And gonna, Mbappe uh, arriving, like, that's admitting defeat over Hazard. And... It's gone and they've got to move on from that now. And they've got a guy there who they signed as a like, like Bale's done, he's leaving. But Hazard, like there will be still some... <laughs> this really wasn't supposed to be as much of a talking point. As soon as you brought up Eden Hazard, it was going to be a talking point. Yeah, but it, it has to be mentioned because like it's, it's, it's more on the back of the Mbappe stuff than anything. And like he was, a, like, he was one of the best game changers in the world. Yeah. A few years ago. Yeah. Like it's, it's turned around for him very quickly and very tragically, but somewhere in there, Eden Hazard can still produce a moment, even if it's a cross that lands on Benzema's head. Who knows? Anyway, it's something I'm going to cling on to for Real Madrid's um, point of view. <laughs> yeah. The big uh, the thing. Keyword, the number... keyword there was was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, it doesn't even have to be a particularly good cross for Benzema to head it home nowadays. So, you know, it, it, doesn't. Could, it could happen. It could be a terrible cross he'd still score. And look at number one, lads, they're never dead. Real Madrid are never dead. If they are 2-0 down with like six or seven minutes left of this final, you can't write them off. And that's absolutely ludicrous. That is a ridiculous thing to sit here and say, to be playing Liverpool in the dying stages of a Champions League final. They won't believe they're dead, but they won't. And, you know, it's... 
just looking back, obviously, across what we've seen so far this season, and it has been outrageous the amount of times I've considered them to be out of this competition. Obviously, there was the the last 16 game with PSG um, when they managed to turn it around. Then there was the quarterfinals against Chelsea when they were out and they managed to turn it around. And they were out against Man City in the semi-final and they managed to turn it around. This side believe they're going to win the Champions League because they've seen this turn around again and again and again. And the monster mentality, the belief, whatever you call it. Look, the only thing here, I think Liverpool were one of the probably the only other team in Europe who I would say are on a par with them in this sense. Like these are two proper European powerhouses, traditional forces of the game that know what it takes to win. And in terms of the fans as well, like they have equal belief going into this game that they will win. I don't think that anyone else would have faced these sides believing that they could win like these two do. It's just something maybe Man United from years gone by, but like right now, like obviously not. Um, so it's just something that's there. Like even like that La Liga game against Sevilla that sticks in my mind when they were 2-0 down and they turned that one around in the second half and won it 3-2. They've just had too many moments this season that will mean that this game surely will go to the wire if they can keep it alive. And it's just mad that by keeping a game alive means being within a margin of two. <laughs> <laughs> because for other teams, it's a margin of one to keep a game alive. I Madrid, know. it's two. Because if they score one, another's coming. And there's no doubt at all that even Liverpool, even Van Dijk, even Alisson will be like, no, no, if Madrid score and make it 2-1 <laughs> and they're losing, but it's the 88th minute and they've just got that goal, that breakthrough. They'll retreat. They'll be on their back foot because it's human. They, they're only human and you become fearful. And then you've just got to avoid what Man City did. And it's not an easy thing to do. In practice, it is. In theory, it is. Like when you're building into a game, when you've got to deal with it there and then in real life, it's not an easy thing to no, do. No, and that not. is the biggest thing that Real Madrid have going for them in this, uh, going into this final. They are a fascinating side, aren't they? Like, I can't believe yeah. they've won a league and have got to a Champions League final <laughs> by basically playing in 15-minute bursts. Yeah, like, it, they just don't, they don't play for 90 minutes. They, the game is a, football is a 90-minute game, but it's not for Real Madrid. They don't have to play well for more than 15 minutes to win a game. <laughs> They don't have to play well for more than three minutes to win a game. Yeah. It is bizarre. I find it so hard to wrap my head around. It's why I naturally think that Liverpool will win the Champions League final because they are the stronger side. They are more consistent and they are less yeah. erratic. And all of that to me says you are going to win the final. Mm -hmm. But Real Madrid, as you say, just do not die. That's you, it. Yeah, look, <laughs> logically, Liverpool win this final. I can't deny that. But the madness suggests that Real Madrid will win this final. <laughs> and I like madness and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it if it's going to happen. The voices yeah, I, whispering it's... in Dean Jones's head have told him that Real Madrid are going to win and he's listening Bad to the voices. season for Liverpool, by the way. Like for this season to also end for Liverpool without the Premier League and without the Champions League, like pff, that's a massive bang back down. So, I mean, obviously they've played every single game throughout an entire season and to end it with two domestic cups isn't going to look very good in in. 15 years' time. I wouldn't sniff we'll at that, mate. I wouldn't sniff at two cups. No, I agree. Um, and also, I think the context of that is, is obviously applicable. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of... I, I know I know what you're getting at, but I, I I'm still... looking at what Wikipedia looks like. That's <laughs> what yeah, the honours section yeah. of the Wikipedia. Um, I mean, it takes us on quite nicely, Sam, because I was going to ask, you know, how do you see this game playing out as a contest? Is it going to be one-way traffic and Real Madrid looking for their opportunities? Is this going to be a game played in transition? Is this a game where, you know, we're going to see one side have 60-odd percent of the ball? Um, how does it look to you, you know, on paper? Um, I mean, a big part of me thinks that Liverpool are going to take the, the chunk of the ball um, and that Real Madrid are going to play much more directed attack than maybe they usually do um, because they have tried to do that on these big occasions in the Champions League, at least. They just try to feed the ball. They go from back to front very quickly, just try to find Benzema. Just Benzema dropping into those, dropping off the, the defensive line and just receiving the ball to feet. And once you get the ball into Benzema's feet and you're anywhere near the halfway line, Real Madrid just comes to life and things start happening. And you've got Vinicius tearing down one side and 
Valverde mo- motoring up on the underlapping run and things like Modric backing you up, uh, things things start happening. So Real Madrid, I think, will just try to get to the ball into Benzema's feet as quickly and as often as possible to, to get a quick start. And it's Liverpool's job immediately to assert that dominant tone. And Van Dijk and, and Matip are going to have to be, or if it's Konate, they're going to have to be extremely dominant here and in making sure that Benzema doesn't find his rhythm, doesn't connect with those passes cleanly. Because if he starts to do it, he turns you. There's big space in behind and Alisson really is put to the test then. So I think Real Madrid would be pretty happy playing low percentage football in this one. If they could just connect with Benzema five times, he can create probably possibly three shooting opportunities. That's kind of how I see it going. And of course, Vinicius is going to be running at Trent. Like that's going to be happening quite a lot. Um, mm. And that's a that's an obvious problem area for area for Liverpool to consider. Um, so that's that's the flow of the game, I think. Um, and for Liverpool, I mean, you should attack Danny Carvajal, hundred percent. They should be getting the ball to Luis Diaz's feet as much as possible and get him attacking Danny Carvajal. But you know, Valverde is very studious in the way he covers, right? So he might have to fl- might have to flick over to the middle, might have to flick over to the other side. But it's those. It's those it's those pressing triggers, man. I'm just I'm convinced that while Liverpool will have more of the ball and have more of the ball in the final third, their big chances will not come from those sustained possessions. They will come from Real Madrid just hanging on to it a little bit too long. And that is why they should be trying to find Benzema early and find him fast and direct. Because if you do hang around on it, you will get caught and it is dangerous. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, look, yeah, Saturday night, eight o'clock. What a game we've got in our hands. Like big one, isn't UK it? Time, big one, dude. It, um, it is. It's it, a big game. Some people call this the biggest game in football. <laughs> it's not the championship playoff final, no, but it is yeah, a big game nonetheless. Um, Dean, just a final point on on these things and, and on something that you kind of touched on a little bit earlier. We were talking a little bit about the Mbappe decision and, and the you know application that has. We're talking about the light of Hazard, but we're also, you know, there are there will become a point where Real Madrid now look to fill the Mbappe-shaped gaps that they thought they were filling um, with a superstar signing. And early triggers have suggested that they might turn to Liverpool here, whether that be Sadio Mane, whether that be Mohamed Salah, you know, to try and fill the hole that expectation, I think, has created now that the expectations have not been fulfilled. Is there an element of that that plays on this or is that just one for the summer yeah look we'll have to see like at as it stands going into this fixture there's not really much love lost between Salah and Real Madrid so um I think he's all full focus is just on for Madrid on beating Salah again and for Salah he wants a revenge mission here but you know you do wonder like if if Madrid are going to look for somebody who's a game changer who's not Mbappe who's wants to win a Ballon d'Or who can keep them competing with Barcelona next year, whose contract is running down, who's tempted to try something new. Mo Salah's right there. Like, yeah. you know, funnier things have definitely happened in football. And if not, then Sadio Mane is right there as well. Like, they could try for him. So um, it could be a narrative that, that pours out after this final. But for right now, I don't think any of them will want to hear about it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Right. Well, we cannot wait to see how this one plays out. Um, and then we're going to come to our second segment after the break, where in things we love, we're going to be talking about our trip to Lisbon and Oeiras this weekend, where we saw the Tassa de Portugal final between Porto and Tondela. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for things we love or a singular thing we love this week, because with New Balance, our partners, we went this weekend to watch Porto against Tondela in the Tassa de Portugal final. Uh, it was a remarkable experience at the Estadio Nacional, just outside Lisbon in Oedas. Um, It was just a very, very special thing to be a part of. And Sam, I think, you know, it's only fair to start really with the fans who were just absolutely exceptional. It was a true fan culture experience for us. It was really cool, wasn't it? It was really different and it felt quite unique to, I think, most things I've ever experienced. Uh, first first and foremost, like just like, yes, the fans were were fantastic in the, the, fan, the fan park um, that was just outside the stadium in, in what was basically a massive forest um, before the game was extremely lively. You got flares and loud music and uh, beers flowing and you know 
even even an hour before kickoff is a 25 shirtless Porto fans just like jumping up and down shouting for Porto like they were getting really into it the atmosphere was was absolutely tremendous um but also there was a really weird like kind of almost like a, a festival vibe to it in that there were people with barbecues you know they they'd driven they'd driven to the arena and they'd parked up and they were they were basically tailgating it weren't they it was a Sunday evening yeah. and they were tailgating the, the cup final in a forest. It was awesome. It was all, yeah. I didn't know if I was at like a, a music festival or a football match at certain points, but obviously it was overwhelmingly Porto. Like it's a 30, I think it's a 37,000 seater stadium, roughly. Um, if, if it was full capacity, then it would be 36,000 Porto fans and 1,000 Tom Della fans. It was, uh, it really was quite overwhelming. A lot of blue mm. and a lot of white and a lot of noise. And yeah. uh, it was a it was an awesome awesome experience to be at, and an awesome stadium. The shape of it, the shape of this thing, what what the hell? It feels it felt really kind of old school, didn't it? There, mm, it yeah. was those kind of vibes. You're like, wow, I'm in somewhere that's that, that has is part of history, and yeah. obviously it is a historically very important stadium. Yeah. It is where Celtic won the European Cup uh, in 1967, uh, and I know a lot of Celtic fans make pilgrimages um, to you know, to the stadium mm. to, to kind of pay veneration to those Lisbon Lions. But yeah. it, it was, you know, just something that you don't see every day. I think this is the thing that, you know, we've been to lots of stadiums and lots of incredible places. It just had a real feel of old school football about it. And, and it added to the occasion massively, I thought. It was so different. From, I mean, in England, there's nothing like that. When Sam says it's a bit like a festival, it really was like going to a festival. And it was, it was a cross between a festival and tailgate. And it was like there was... There's even one guy set up this huge, like, he had like a 40-inch TV outside his truck with like a feed of the game, a barbecue next to it, seats all laid out. Um, so they were watching like the pre-match and then they were there again for the post-match. Um, it was crazy. Yeah, you definitely don't get anything like it in England. And it, it made me think, like, obviously we were there um, in a working capacity for New Balance, but it it made me think, like, this is the sort of trips that – especially in the back of lockdown and we were going through like list bucket list stuff to do in football and like things to do with your mates and stuff like for next season if if you're some one of these people that talks about you know broadening your horizons in terms of football watching and experiences like pick a random game in a random place but like that's probably going to have good vibes about it it's like it was quite handy it was a cup final obviously um but there'll be loads of this going on in Europe every week. You just got to find the right place to be, and you're experiencing something that you've never seen before, and will live with you forever. Um, look, from a footballing point of view, like the game was pretty straightforward, right? But like from an experience point of view, I've been to a lot of games, and yet again, it was like something I'd never seen. So it's very weird to to be saying that, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. I mean, let's go to the football side of it briefly, Sam. And, you know, of all of the things, Mediterranean won player of the match. But I think, you know, for the fact that he scored, you know, two goals, which is fair enough, but one player stood out head and shoulders above everybody else on the pitch for me. And and I assume for you as well. And, and that was Vitinha, um, who's obviously returned from being on loan with the Wolves last season to Porto. And he has lit quite a lot of this season up, but I think this in particular, for me, I, I tweeted about it. I said it, it should go down as the Vitinha final. He was a class apart. He was, yeah. Our first um, dose of Porto in the uh, in the Classico game against Sporting a couple of months ago. It was the uh, we, we came away stunned by Fabio Vieira. Uh, Vitinha, you know, was in Vieira's shadow that day and. February didn't start this game so it was Vitinha's time to shine and he was the best player on the pitch he was twinkle toes wasn't he dancing in amongst all of the different challenges and flying legs and that Porto play a like a relatively like rigid formation it's a it's a 4-4-2 it's got two proper strikers they try to get the ball through to them they don't have that many opportunities to kind of stagger stagger the lines and they don't play like flowing football unless players like Vitinha and of course Fabio Vieira can step up and can slalom past someone, open up a lane, slip a ball in. And he was like scoop passing the ball into the box. He was playing reverse balls into runners. Mantondela just had no idea what he was going to do next. And we were thrilled by him. Absolutely thrilled by him. He's such a wonderful player. So well done to Vitinho. You get my man on the match too, buddy. 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was like watching a young Bernardo Silva at Monaco. Mm-hmm. That was the the comparison I would draw. He was sensational. Um, look, it's been a really really good year for Porto. They've they've had, you know, as we said at the top, a record points total. Sergio Conceição has, has received plaudits kind of up and down the land for for what he's achieved in Portugal. It wasn't necessarily you know the best campaign in Europe, but equally, you know, European competition is incredibly tough, as as we discussed obviously at the top of the show. Um, but I think, you know, just kind of to, to close this segment off, Dean, and you look at some of these games and, and this team and, you know, the managers that have managed Porto as, as we've gone along, we're talking about, you know, Jose Mourinho's, Andre Vs Boas's. There's been some really incredible names that have come through this team uh, as the as the kind of talisman, as the leader, as the the figure at the at the top of the club. And I think management is revered, considering what's been achieved. Management is quite revered um, in Porto, and for it to be Conceição, you know, a son of the club, to who has come in here and and made these things happen, and, and is re- achieving records left, right, and centre. It's quite a lovely narrative, you know, for someone to, you know, homegrown and who feels like they're kind of part of the furniture to come on and achieve such things. Yeah, it's still a relatively young age for a manager as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in, you know, in Portugal in terms of young, good managers coming through. And, and this has been some season of Conceição. He will be, you know, as happy as they come. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's 47, which I guess in manager terms is is pretty young, and um, he's absolutely adored, obviously, by the fan base. And Portugal, I can remember back at what Euro 2000 or something when he um, was playing for Portugal, and like as a player, you can still just about hang on to memories of him if you're my age. But like beyond that, like people will now be recognising him as a manager in his own right. And like you just will start to wonder, like given the career path of people that have been at Porto um, before, like what happens from here. But like you could see just being at that game and like seeing the banners and stuff and the signs that the fans were holding out, like absolutely loved by them. And um, on TikTok, I was watching some TikToks today. Oh, by the way, I'm talking about TikTok. We've launched a TikTok page. Sam Ty's done an unbelievable <laughs> job with the footage from yesterday. I, w- I wasn't sure what we were going to get, I've got to admit, because he's literally only downloaded the app the day before. Um, <laughs> but um, go t- check out Rank Squad on TikTok because you can see our day at the Portuguese Cup final and you actually do get a good taste of it because surprisingly Sam did a very, very good job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah on tiktok I, I saw a few things from porto and like conze sound like at the in the middle of all the cellies and stuff so um yeah a lot a lot of fun was had and it was proper party atmosphere i had a really really good time the, the weirdest thing i guess about it was like missing so much other football um you know not where i expected to be on the final day of the premier league season for sure um there's a, a lot being decided elsewhere but um can't complain at all um, about our own experience from the day. Yeah, absolutely not. It does. It does feel that way. It was. Uh, it was very special. Even if you know the first half, it was like we were watching the notifications come in on on goals going in and trying to work out how it affected things while also watching this game. It was a. Um, it, it was quite a quite a lot of multitasking and quite an emotional drain in some ways, but um, one that was purely worth it for the experience we had. Um, obviously, Sam and I are off to the Europa Conference League final this week, so there'll be a second TikTok reel coming. It's all very exciting. Uh, well, are you be, doing that one? There, so yeah, make sure you go and check. No, mate, you've, you've the got app. the job. You have got the job. Um, there is no pay. You've got the job, though. <laughs> yeah. Well done, well done, mate. Your application has been approved. You now have another role within Ranks FC. Oh, so no. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you wanted. Exactly what yeah. you wanted. Right after the break, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Lisbon in our gibberish rankings, and of course, there's a melon of the week. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the third and final part of Ranks FC. We'll start, of course, with everybody's favourite time of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Ryan Reynolds. Did you see this? No, what's he done? Ryan Reynolds, are famously now in charge of, of Wrexham. Um, and Wrexham, well, not in charge of, he owns them. He's, he's, not, the he's not the manager. He's not the manager, no. <laughs> um, 
but him um, and oh my God, I can never pronounce his surname. Rob McElhenney, is that Mac- how you pronounce it? McElhenney, his? yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're obviously um, the club owners at Wrexham. Um, anyway, Wrexham had a cup final at Wembley on Sunday against Bromley. Uh, it was the FA Trophy um, and Wrexham were 1-0 down and they thought they'd equalised. Now, the goal was quite quickly ruled out, but Ryan Reynolds... <laughs> Rob McElhenney, but Ryan Reynolds in particular didn't notice for a considerable amount of time that this goal didn't count. And the cameras had obviously panned onto them and they're in each other's arms embracing, they're jumping up and down. Everyone in the box is just ecstatic that Wrexham had scored this wonder goal that saved him and probably was going to take the game into extra time. But Accounted for nothing, and um, it was that it was quite embarrassing. I, I I almost felt sorry for him about how long it had gone on. Like the commentator, even at the time, he says they're celebrating up in the royal box. They haven't seen the flag yet. Oh. Somebody needs to have a quick word. Somebody needs to explain the offside rule to these A-listers. Um, also in the box, by the way, were um, Will Ferrell and David Beckham. Like there's an unbelievable turnout for an FA Trophy game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, um, yeah, poor old Ryan Reynolds did that's, look like a bit of a melon as he's celebrating in his Wrexham tracksuit top. I guarantee you, I guarantee you the Royal Box wasn't quite as lively as that when I went to see Mansfield Town against Darlington in 2010. Um, oh, really? You know, in the FA Trophy final. So, you know, how 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 these tournaments rise, how they rise. <laughs> Quality, though. I'm amazing that they were there and I'm sure they'll have some good times ahead because there's big things ahead for Wrexham. Absolutely. <laughs> That is indeed the gibberish alarm, which means Sam's back over to you. It is indeed, yeah. It's uh, it's time for the definitive Lisbon ranking. It's our trip summed up in a one, two, three. So let's start at number three. And where else would we begin than Croquetas, Jack? Croquetas. <laughs> Woo! I mean, we had multiple. I think we had three different servings of Croquetas, and we were in Lisbon for a day and a half (laughs) (laughs) a day and a half saturday night we go to this really cool like timeout market thing like a bit of a a bit of a food court style thing but with very 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 nice stalls and we ate what four different types of croquetas jack what what, what do we have traditional traditional portuguese or a cheese like a cheese and caramelized onion did you have a tuna one I did have a tuna one, yeah. It wasn't actually that good. Oh, no. um, well, that's it's bo- tuna and dried tomatoes. The, yeah, bottom of the croquetta ranking that. Where those yeah. like, pulled pork ones were really, really good. Um, we went back for seconds that night later. Um, we sort of like did a starter and a dessert of a three-course meal and the starter and dessert were croquetas. And then Sunday night, uh, Dean, you joined us. We got beef ones. They were delicious, weren't they? They were really good. They yeah. were really delicious. Yeah. Um, almost unexpectedly so. Like I knew they be nice because we were in a nice place but like i could have eaten i could have eaten them all night and not had our actual dinner <laughs> yeah, we only ordered four and we, yes. sh- we should and we should have ordered 40 um, we really should have but this is it now this is this is us this is our brand we have to stay true to it L- lucky melons lucky. and croquetas yeah the ranks fc staples we're very fortunate because croquetas are truly truly delicious okay number two a trek in the forest <laughs> Mm. As you heard just now, the National Stadium in Portugal is basically on the edge of a forest. It's in a pretty remote location outside of the city, and it's the type of place that it's tough to get away from after a big event because you and 30,000 other people are all trying to call Ubers at the same time. It's also quite difficult to figure out which exit you're supposed to go to in order to get into a car. And it was completely rammed as well. It was like bumper to bumper. So it was quite hard to get a lift, quite hard to get an Uber. And we weren't really sure what we were doing. So Jack just formulated plan B. And plan B was essentially, let's walk back through the forest to the other side of the complex, but with no map and no genuine, like true 100% idea of where we were, because it was basically a hiking trail. And we didn't see another human for 10 minutes. And I was starting to get quite worried. But he's starting to get dark. He charged on ahead, charged on ahead, 
used his internal map. Every time we asked him, Jack, do you know where you are going? He tapped his nose and nodded and then vaguely explained that the ocean was to the north. So it's fine. And thought that that would be fine. Like that was, that was enough to kind of keep us at bay, which to be fair, I guess it was because we didn't have any better ideas. But we'd met up with Joe from New Balance at this point. Lovely Joe. Great to meet him in person for the first time. He was with us. He must have been very confused. Very confused. He said, Joe, do you want to share an Uber back? Yeah. He took him into the forest. (laughs) Into into the forest with three strangers. It it was weird because, (laughs) like, at no point would that have been in my consideration to do what we did. Like, we were obviously on a main road where it was almost impossible to get an Uber. Like, I would have just, like, sat it out probably and just waited for people to start going home. Uh, walked over to that petrol station we saw and just grabbed some like a drink and something to eat and just sat on the curb. But Jack's brain does not work like other people's. And he starts sniffing around like a dog trying to get the scent of where we should be heading. <laughs> and on he's off. And you've got to chase him. He's like a dog once. He's off. Yeah, he's it's- not got his phone out or anything. It's just like touching twigs <laughs> to see if he can get any idea of the, where where other daylight could be. Oh, and we start just merge, you know, up and down these little hills, literally in between like branches and jumping over like holes in the ground. And there's this huge mound. And he's like, look, we just got to get down there. We're like, mate, it's a 45 foot drop. We're like, <laughs> how do we just got to get down there? Um, fair enough, because we... Yeah, 10 minutes later, we were in a perfect spot to get picked up. With whoa, 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 no whoa, 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 whoa. Credit to Jack. He led, us, he led us to salvation. But it was not a perfect spot to be picked up. We had to make yeah, an Uber yeah. stop on a dual carriageway, which isn't yeah. the safest. Isn't no. the safest However, the Uber driver didn't seem to have any problem with this. So that was good. Actually, he, no. he, was, he, he was just like, this is fine. Don't worry about it. it was just getting quick. Just getting quick. Uh, and then he drove quick as well. So I could see, I could see from his, uh, his, his, his attitude to driving that he, uh, he would not have had a problem stopping on a dual carriageway. But uh, Jack, you deserve the credit there. And to be fair, Jack's nose has, has, has not yet failed us. Abroad. No, my um, my internal compass is is one of my great strengths. Um, yes. So thankfully, it very keeps, thankfully it keeps going for, yeah. for now at the very least. Um, right, what's number one, Sam? Well, number one is scooters. Obviously, <laughs> scooters. Uh, Lis- hmm. Lisbon is full of scooters. Um, easy to rent, easy to pick up, easy to drop off. Cheap as hell. Like you can just pick one up and like like drive around in it for like 15 minutes or something like that, drive up and down the promenade and then just drop it off. And it was like 90 cents or a euro or something. It was absolutely awesome. Scan your barcode with your phone and you're off. And yeah, you can zip up and down. It was quite good, wasn't it, Jack? You, you, you get to, well, well above 20 kilometers an hour, sometimes up to 20, 25 with a bit of a headwind and a bit of a, a bit of a hill. You can really pick up some speed on these things unless you are named Dean Jones. <laughs> oh. For whatever reason, Dean Scooter's we're just much slower than mine and the Jack's. The first one didn't. The first one was fine. <laughs> From that point on, I had a speed restriction of 14 kilometers an hour. <laughs> how, how far was yours going? Somewhere between 21 and 24 or something like that. You were so far ahead of me. <laughs> it was so annoying. Oh, man. So Jack and I zipping up and down the bike lanes and the scooter lanes, um, going pretty quick. Then we come to a traffic light, you know, red light, we'd wait. 30 seconds later, Dean Jones comes pootling <laughs> down the bike lane. He's caught up with us. He gets to us. The light goes green. We zip off again. We've left him in our dust. It was so funny. It was so frustrating. I don't <laughs> understand. I was glad we went on them for that long because like, it didn't take me that long to catch up. If we were going considerable distances, I'd have turned up like 10 minutes later. Well, we, we talked about getting scooters to the National Stadium. Which would have been, you know, a th- well, a thirty-minute scooter ride for us, maybe, but for Dean Jones, possibly two hours. <laughs> yeah, Jack reckons I had some button selected on my. You can. What do you say? It was on beginner mode or something. When you like yeah. download we the app or something. D- we think Dean accidentally left his on beginner mode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah actually, I'm going to go on the app. Why? I don't think you can. I don't think no. you can now because you know, there'd be a different app when you're in the UK. There's no two wheel oh, option. There's no two wheel yeah. option. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, but maybe the, scoot- I was. the scooters picked me up as well when you know when Granada were confirmed as relegated. I had my head in my hands, but um, then I had you know five minutes later I had the wind in my sails. You know, I was, I was breezing breezing along the promenade next to the water on a on a scooter at, at somewhere between twenty one and twenty four kilometers an hour, and it was great fun. It really uh, it really made me feel a lot better. 
<laughs> Very good. It was fun. It was fun. Yes, indeed. We've had a lot of fun. Um, but on that note, we are going to call this episode a day. And all that's really left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for listening. As ever, we really do appreciate it. I'm really excited about this Champions League final coming up on Saturday. So enjoy it this week. Enjoy the Europa Conference League final Wednesday night. Sam and I are going to be in Tirana witnessing it live. We're both very excited about that. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. Thank you all again. And if you have a moment to rate and review the podcast on any platform that you listen on that offers such an opportunity, it really, really is appreciated in terms of helping us to grow and spread the ranks message. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Croquetas. They were really good. They were really delicious. Croquetas. Four different types of croquetas. Melons and croquetas. Yeah. (laughs) Woo! Woo! I did have a tuna one, yeah. It wasn't actually that good.